Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. But all he does is take and make big shots. He's got huge clutch gene. Mm-hmm. He's got big guts. And if you, if you stay close, if they hang in and they get him the basketball with five seconds left, you better watch out because he is going to find a way to take and make that shot. He's done it to a lot of other teams other than Kawhi and Paul George yesterday. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Over a year ago, <laughs> over a year ago. Was it really? It yeah. sure was a decade ago? <laughs> no, it was about a year ago. I actually don't know exactly what it was. Max McCauley came onto our podcast and we did an over-under podcast trying to predict some of the made-up over-unders for the 2019-2020 season that is now going almost into 2021 <laughs> Uh, my name is Mike. I'm here with Sam, and we're also here with Max. How are both of you doing? Good. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, did I, did I have the over or the under for August Phoenix Suns wins? <laughs> Man, imagine if I put that. That would have been an easy one to answer if we put that one on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, was a weird, it was a weird year, obviously. Uh, f- five months with no basketball, four months with no basketball. And then the Phoenix Suns came back and looked like a completely different team somehow. Uh, one eight in a row. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts in general? Just an overarching feeling on this season, Max. Wonderful. I mean, well, I mean, we're talking about the whole season. Not as wonderful. That, that includes kind of a disappointing end to the 
other regular season and then the whole COVID thing. So that wasn't fun. But mm -hmm. the, the, the latest stretch was quite fun. I mean, I think it's kind of kind of changed the entire way. I think most of us are looking at this team, right? A lot of us were kind of like, you know, what's the next big piece they have to go get because they obviously aren't going to be able to really do much with this core. It's kind of the overwhelming feeling, I think, before. And then this 8-0 stretch just kind of changed everything. Everybody, you know, kind of fell into place, knew their roles. Like Imani was just a virtuoso in the bubble. So, I mean, I think like every other Suns fan, I'm, you know, over the moon right now. But that brings up the big question, Max. Was it all a trap? Because <laughs> yeah. Mike and I, Mike and I discussed this because we felt like we had to just a few days ago. But just to get your take on it really quick, does does eight and zero change the way you want this team to approach the offseason now? Well, so maybe eight and zero doesn't so much the record because I mean I, I see what you're going with the, with the trap. I mean they won a couple of stupid games at the end there and a couple of real close ones like the Dallas game they easily could have lost the earlier one. So there are definitely some trappings to it, but I think more important is what we saw out of especially Mikel and uh, Cam Johnson. Just the fact that they've really solidified themselves as long-term pieces and, and, and potentially a starting lineup just made it a lot easier to build. Like I think we were all looking at you know the four starting four is the number one thing we need to go out and get this summer. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't really see that be the case anymore. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but Cam Johnson to me kind of seems like he's filling that role. Yeah, it's a, that's a hard question to answer. I yeah, I, I, I love agree. <laughs> I, I love Cam Johnson. I think I think he was excellent, and I think it's interesting too that because he was drafted at such an older age that he's on that rookie scale deal until in the middle of his prime, basically, mm -hmm. which is really nice flexibility for the Suns. Um, but in general, I just still have the feeling of this team needs more good players. And mm -hmm. if you can get another four uh, in free agency or some, some other way, then it, I don't think it would hurt the team just to have more depth, especially uh, like, I'll be honest, I'm still kind of under the impression that the Suns aren't fully bought into signing Kelly Oubre long-term. And until I believe that they are, I think there's a chance that he gets traded. So if there was another four on the roster, uh, or another wing, I guess you could say, just depending on how they play, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Kelly Oubre, if there's going to be an odd man out, I mean, the fact they went 8-0 without him, they had this big run, uh, I could totally see that. One year left at $15 million, very tradable. Uh, doesn't fit super well unless he's willing to buy into a six-man role it's kind of hard to see where he's coming and maybe that's what happens and that could be great but even if that happens and he has a great year next year as a six-man I mean he's going to command you know 20 million if he, if he played real well are you really going to sign him long term so totally agree with you he kind of feels like the guy they may be uh, moving on from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe we will get an impression about how they feel about that based on how they uh, respond to free agency or the draft even mm -hmm. although yep. the draft you never really know um, let's get into it. We have, I believe, 17 over-unders that we covered. Keep in mind, we'll this, is a, uh, this is a yearly segment we're doing now, so we did this last year as mm -hmm. well. There were 19. Uh, Mike, do you know who finished in first place last year? I came uh, last. Max. Max was did first. I? Okay. Wow, yes. so impressive. <laughs> I, I yes. think Max, you, Max, I think you may have gotten like 13 out of 19. Like, you did, you did really well, and then Mike was very close behind. He may have gotten yeah. 12. Um, I got six out of, nine, <laughs> out of 19 last year, so not, not too great. Hoping to recover this year. Um, I don't know what the results are. Mike does. Um, and we'll go through it as we go along. Yeah, and this is, a, this is a fun year, too, because not only did all three of us answer our answers for <clears throat> over, under for each of these categories, we also set up a Google Doc that... You guys answered, people listening to this answered, and we got 325 responses, so not a huge wow. amount, but a large enough sample size, I think, that this is probably a good sample of hardcore Suns fans and how they feel about uh, these specific over-unders. Some of them were close, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tally up 
the voting as far as the fan vote along with the three of ours. And I'll tell you how close those fan votes are because I think some of them are really interesting. Uh, but let's go ahead and start. The first one that we covered was DeAndre Ayton blocks per game. And the over-under was set at 1.3. I won't make you guys guess what you said <laughs> for each of these categories because it was such a long time ago. I said under 1.3. Uh, that I think that is a good indication of how we felt about DeAndre Ayton's defense after his rookie year. Uh, Sam, you said over. Max said under. I said over? You did. You said wow. over. Wow. Uh, Max said under. And the fan vote was 50.2% to 49%. Oh, my 49.8%. God. 49.8%. So almost, <laughs> it's basically a single vote or a vote or two uh, separating these two. Actually, I can tell you, it's one vote. 163 people voted for under, 162 people voted for over. And it was over. So the That's only one point, person one right for me, baby, I'm wow. in the lead so far. Yeah, Mike, coming back with a, a vengeance. You might have a future as a Vegas odds maker with that line setting, man. That's how you get <laughs> even money on both sides. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that was close. I think, I think it was. I'll be honest, Max. I'm. I'll defend our under votes. I think you and I, we said under. I'll defend that. I think Are you sure I, mean, I said close. over. Yeah, <laughs> like because because. <laughs> This should I mean, show. This should show how hard lot. it is. This should show how hard it is for for listeners at home to keep themselves accountable too. I wouldn't expect them to remember what they put. Um, I was not expecting DeAndre Ayton to to block that many shots after his first season. Well, I he, mean, one point five isn't like a whole lot. <laughs> I know, but 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 he really didn't block a whole lot his rookie year. He had like point nine his rookie year, right? Yeah, it's just wow. under one, I believe. He it was. doubled and, it. He doubled it in one year. What the one stat I looked up here. Because blocks are cool, obviously, but but just his um, defending shots within six feet percentage, the percentage that he gave up, went down from 62.9% his rookie season to 52% this year. Um, mm. And I know he didn't he didn't play a full season, but an 11% drop uh, in that statistic in one season is, is massive. Um, he totally surpassed our expectations. Yeah, that was the best thing we got from him. Even I mean, the blocks are nice, obviously, but I think the mm-hmm. blocks are a function of the fact that he was in the right place way more often. Mm-hmm. And when you have that giant seven foot one man in, in the right place with his arms in the air, it's, it tends to be hard to score over him. So, and I think that's that's why that stat happened and why the blocks happened. And that's the best progression we saw from him this year. Yeah, I agree. I do think that even in the bubble games, even though some of the mistakes he made were like pretty glaring, obvious defensive mistakes, I still think he did overall relatively well at the normal rim protection standing under the rim thing that uh, we tend to want him to do mm-hmm. I still think there's large improvements that can be made over time and I I consider that to be kind of exciting I you know I, I've seen improvement year over year and if he can continue to improve I think he can, can become a pretty good overall player how did you feel just in general about the Aiton's performance in the bubble games Max um it was oh I, it oh was, this is a good question to ask <laughs> <laughs> can we say it was, was it mixed a mixed bag can we go with that yeah. I you know wait that, max i want to i'm yeah. gonna give you credit because you i think it's really hard for <laughs> this i promise this is a compliment it's really hard <laughs> for a team to go eight no um and still be on twitter kind of riding a specific negative point you were one of the only people that i saw who actually had the guts to to go after deandre and sort of publicly for his performance um especially right after he missed uh, the COVID test, 
And I think yeah. so many of us were disappointed in him, but but you really said, I think, what a lot of people were feeling, but maybe were afraid to say. So I will say liberal usage of the block button on Twitter is a very helpful thing. I'll say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I didn't think about Aiden for me. I think it's for people who misunderstand me on him because people think I hate him. And it's not that I hate him. It's that I just, I expect so much out of him because of what he is physically and what he, you know, what his skill talent base is that he should be so much better than he is and there are times when he flashes that like we, we said you know mixed bag he had some moments uh, i think the, the pacers game was his best game he was really good in that game and really affected it may have been the best player in the game but other times like you know obviously the okc thing was absurd he missed the first quarter because of the COVID thing which is mm-hmm. another problem with him but he also just wasn't good in that game if i remember correctly in the miami game remember in the miami game he was just totally lost like bam just totally took him out of the game it's, it's times like that that really frustrate you because man this team, I mean, imagine if DeAndre Ayton had been, like, if he had taken a leap from where he was uh, in March to now, like with the way Mikel and Cam Johnson did, how good would this team have been? I mean, they went 8-0. They would have been 8-0 with, like, just blowing people out. So mm-hmm. that, that's, the, that's the perspective I have on him, and that's, and that's kind of why I probably see down on him more than others do is because I'm just holding him to such a high standard. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he was the number one overall pick <laughs> after yeah, all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like... Look, uh, we all know he's not going to be Luka Doncic, and, and that's not necessarily the standard that you have to hold him to because very, very, very few players are going to play that well at that yep. young of an age. But I think it's okay to expect a little bit more. And I, I'm just interested in, I think, next season, as every year is kind of with him, he's such a linchpin into how good this team could be, and, and the the spotlight will be on him. I think everyone's going to be paying the year of the free throws. This season was the year of the really defensive so, improvement. <laughs> Next year, year of the free throws. Uh, and maybe that's dribbling throws, was a big step. It was well, that's how you get the free throws. You, you can't get right. the free throws until you dribble. <laughs> yeah. you got to dribble. you got to like not be totally afraid of any contact whatsoever. Yeah, yeah just, that's the main uh, thing. It's crazy. I think he had 11 free throws in the entire bubble. And even those, like he didn't create the contact with those. They were generally people just swiping at him on, on I mean, you know, drives to the lanes. Like, he's really got to create contact. Yeah. It's yeah. just nuts that he averaged so close to 20 points per game this season on like two free throws a game. Yeah. It's just, it just makes <laughs> you think like a little more contact and he would be a 25 and 12 guy easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. so close. Yep. Well, is he? I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of work that has to be done there, and that's okay. I, I think what's nice about a center like him that's so big and uh, can set screens and, and, and slip screens and stuff like that is that he's still a useful offensive tool even when he's not necessarily uh, you know, high usage as far as handling the ball a lot. It's still okay because he's still a useful weapon in the toolbox, and yep. that that gets shooters open and uh, you know, it gets Devin Booker open on dribbling. So it's, it's okay. I mean, it's... I, over time, I think he'll get better offensively, but I'm not like it's not a huge, huge, huge concern for me. I just want him to continue to improve on defense. Yeah, and I will say too, like if he never gets better at the free throw thing, I mean he has got to get a little bit better. But if, as long as he can do the three point shooting thing, he showed a little bit of mm-hmm. in, in the bubble, and it looked better early on. And it got a little worse, but I thought it looked pretty good the whole time. Uh, that could really help. And I mean, he, he may not be your offensive focal point, but if he can stretch the floor and be that finisher that he is, that you described, Mike, that could really go a long way, especially if he makes another leap defensively. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one we talked about was Kelly Oubre three-point percentage. And I this this one's actually not that close. I set the over-under at 33.5, and I just want to defend myself a little bit. In 18-19, when he was with the Suns, he shot 32.5, and then previous to that, 31 in Washington, same season. Uh, 34 was his best year when he was 22, but previous to that, he shot 28% in his second year in the league. So he's been all over the place 
for three-point percentage. This year, it was over at 35.2%, so his best shooting year from the uh, three-point line, and I think it felt like that, uh, especially as the clock was winding down. I said over. Sam, you said under, so this one you did get wrong. Uh, Max, you said over as well. I think we were confident in that. Um, and there the goes fans my lead. said over. There goes my lead. <laughs> it was nice while I had it, and here we go. <laughs> Back to the bottom. Yeah, the, and the fans said over uh, by a large, like 75% of them said over. Well, uh, which, that's my, so I didn't look at the fan results, but tell me if I'm wrong. My suspicion is kind of just going to be it's the fans saying over on every possible positive <laughs> statistic. <laughs> Uh, there's six unders. Okay, and, all right, there we yeah. go. So it's not hmm. a ton. Uh, it's not a ton of unders for the for the fans. But I mean, wait till the end here. We'll we'll talk about how they did. So it's it's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean Kelly Oubre. We just talked about him a little bit, obviously, uh, and I think that people are forgetting about how good certain lineups were. With Kelly Oubre in them this season, we got a much larger sample size of the Valley Boys lineup, as we had been calling them for a while, with Kelly Oubre and Mikhail Bridges as the forwards and the other three main guys. It was good. It was good defensively. It was good offensively. Kelly Oubre tends to attack the rim and transition, one of the better transition players in the NBA. Uh, And then that three-point percentage just going up a little bit. 3% 3% basically from 32 to 35. That makes a pretty massive difference for a guy that's on the court as much as he is. What did you think of Kelly Oubre, Max? I kind of, so here's the thing about Kelly Oubre is his highs are so high and he's so fun to watch, especially in person. He is so fun to watch. He mm-hmm. just gets you all rallied up. He's real fun. And obviously the team, you know, teammates love him. I would just love for him to be our sixth man. I, I just don't think he fits as well as uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson do with Booker and Aiton because it's the shooting and it's the defense. And Kelly Oubre Jr. is not a bad defender. He can even be a pretty good on-ball defender sometimes. The issue is he has lapses, right? He allows cuts behind and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just better with the ball in his hands. He's better as the focal point, I think. And I think that, you know that's why yeah, you could finish games maybe if he's, re- if he's really hot. And that's another thing with him. He's kind of streaky. So you'd like to have him come off the bench and you know if he's hot, play a lot more minutes than if he's cold. Um, so, you know, I like Kelly Oubre, but as we mentioned before, he kind of feels like the odd man out just because of, con- really because of contract situation more than anything else. Sam, what are your thoughts on Kelly Oubre and his shooting this season? Yeah, it surprised me. Um, I, I think if I had to make a hypothesis as to why it happened, like part of it is that he played with better players, right? Ricky Rubio is, is very good as a transition playmaker and logged a lot of minutes next to Kelly, and that definitely makes a difference. Part of it is just, like I looked it up, Kelly shot 29% on wide-open threes his first year with us, uh, which is really bad. Like, that's wide-open threes. Um, And then he shot 37% this year. And, like, when you filter down stuff like that, it can be small sample sizes. I truthfully do not know. That could just be, like, he had an unusually bad year one year, and then this year he had an unusually good year, and it led to an overall increase. But, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what happened. I think he definitely, he obviously made that improvement. Like Max said, in terms of his long-term fit with the team, it's just there's so many little things that Kelly has to be a little bit better at. Like, I like his fit with the Suns generally. Um, I, sometimes I can get behind the idea of moving him to the bench, but then other times I can't because, like, if you move him to the bench, on the one hand, you have uh, a guy who can potentially be a high-octane scorer off the bench, which is something that the Suns struggle to find until, like, 
campaign and Dario Sarge blew up in the bubble. On the other hand, Kelly has tunnel vision, as we know, and and kind of the reason I like Dario so much in that role in the bubble is because Dario is not only a scorer. He was getting his 15 points per game um, in that role, but he was also playmaking for others. And I don't really know that Kelly would do that in, in the same position. So, you know, part of the reason that Kelly does work as a starting power forward, I think, is because you kind of just use him as a finisher. He's just catching the passes from Rubio and Booker and, and finishing. And I don't know, maybe I still think that that's where he's he's best off. So it's complicated. Yeah, let me say I totally agree with you, Sam, that you don't want him running your offense, really. I just think you want him being your primary finisher, right? So right. I think you want him on the bench with, hey, I, I actually think that the, the ideal scenario is that you got like a really, really good guard somehow. Uh, maybe, you know, Fred Van Vliet via free agency, who oh, starts wow. with Booker, and then you have Rubio and Ubre come off the bench for you. I mean, that would be just the ideal scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. You don't want him running your offense. Yeah, did you guys know that Kelly Oubre had two games with seven three-pointers made this season? That's wild. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. It's yeah. how many how many players on the Suns have had a game with six threes? Oh, because Devin Booker has Baines, Baines has. Baines, Kelly has. Yeah, Booker's had six, uh, not Cameron. seven, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Booker Cam- has had six, not seven. Has had Sorry. Six, yeah, right. Okay. He's had a lot of games with six. So it's at least in the bubble, I think, right? It's, it's at least two guys. It's at yeah, least two guys. Yeah, he did have six in the bubble. Uh, against the Clippers, actually. Yep. Uh, and just just to point out the point about him being streaky, the games where Kelly Oubre had seven three pointers were seven for ten and seven for nine shooting from the three point <clears> line. <throat> That's the type of night he can have. Uh, only three games with more than three assists, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for a guy that's on the court as much as him, that's not great. And and it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> thing too with with Cam Johnson because. Cam Johnson not making these like advanced reads or anything. And, and that's kind of what we would expect out of Kelly Oubre. That's the main thing is I'm not asking him to make cross court skip passes to a shooter. I am asking him that if he drives to, you know, two steps past the three point line and they completely converge onto him, he's able to kick it out to an open shooter or to Devin Booker or Ricky Rubio to find someone open after that, that, that would be nice from Kelly Oubre. I, I do feel like obligated to bring this up every time with Kelly Oubre. He is still young and I do believe he's still capable of continuing to improve. He hasn't improved at a lot of things every year of his career. I didn't spend a lot of time watching him early, but just looking at the stats for Washington, you can see it. Uh, there's a chance that he becomes a much more well-rounded player uh, in, in the future. We'll see. Uh, but I, you know, if he, I will say this, if the Suns start next season with Kelly Uber and Mikael Bridges, I'm not going to be like overly angry about that. I still think they could be a really good team with that as their starting five. I do wonder what it'll be at the end of the season yeah. if they do start with that, though. From tight muscles, tough workouts, and signs of aging to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wurzland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. 
Therawan tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic grown in the US and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use Therawan's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you have to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only now until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back with the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team or favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Uh, The next one, relevant to today, Kelly Oubre Valley Boys merch sold. And we set it at 0.5 for basically saying, will he sell anything? At this time, there was an issue with... uh, Getting to market first, actually, we had you break it down for us on that podcast. All three of us said under, and the fans said over, and the fans were right because of a pop-up shop. As we all remember, there was a pop-up shop, which feels like 10 years ago (laughs) that 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 happened. But Kelly Oubre was able to sell some Valley Boys merchandise. I don't know. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. My understanding is the, the reason he was able to do that uh, was because it was like a not non for profit, not for profit sort of thing where he was donating the profits. Maybe I'm not really understanding that. Maybe that was the issue. Max, do you have any insight on that? Uh, I don't. I didn't follow this story that closely, so I don't know what he was doing. What I will say is that you don't. It doesn't necessarily excuse you from infringement if you do something like that necessarily. So that wouldn't. I don't know what happened, and maybe he even got an agreement with the guy to do yeah. be able to do that for nonprofit. I have no idea, but yeah, uh, it's odd. I didn't know he sold something, so I guess we took the L on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he I also think... um, the dope soul thing. Mm-hmm. What's the timeline with that? He he started selling that after the the pop up shop. I didn't follow the story all that closely either, to be honest with you. The pop up shop was Valley Boys. It wasn't Dope Soul, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Never that mind. was a whole clip art scandal. Uh, people wanted higher higher effort merch Um, but yeah yeah that so that happened i mean i think the reason we talked about it on the podcast is because um he kelly Ubre had posted about it on his instagram like that week Mm -hmm. just you know so we just covered it when we did the over under episode uh but this one's interesting mikhail bridges games started and the over under was set at 21.5 just hearing that number what do you guys think it was do you think it was over or under that what actually happened i, th- I would yeah. think over actually it was it was way you're phrasing yeah. that it must was be under. pretty significantly over okay. it was definitely He's, over yeah he started 32 games and uh i don't know that he'll ever not start for this team again mm, yeah <laughs> at yeah. least 
until he's old or leaves in free agency or something uh, because he really earned that starting spot. I said over Sam. You said over Max. Uh, yeah, you said yeah. under. Did I really? I wonder why I said yeah. that. <laughs> I, I well, mean, you know I think Dario Saric at the time mm. seemed like, you know, it seemed like it was going to be Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric. The fans said over, by the it's, way. It's actually interesting because I went back and I listened to the episode to hear our, our reasoning. A lot of what we said is like, well, maybe Mikhail can get to 22 starts just because like if Kelly sprains an ankle, then you insert mm. him into the starting lineup. Or if Devin sprains an ankle, you insert him into the starting lineup. And it was about him being so versatile and being able to play multiple positions. But Max, even if you got it wrong, technically, um, you are the one who brought up the point at the very end of the conversation. You were like, well, maybe Dario's just bad. Like, you were the one to say that, not me or Mike. You were like, well, maybe Dario is just kind of bad. And then you put, like, you find a way for Mikhail to play small forward and Kelly to play power forward. That was you who said that, not either of us. So credit to you, because that's what happened. Not that Dario was bad, bad, but he was definitely bad enough that it made a lot more sense for the Suns to stick him on the bench. Well, I'll take the moral victory. I guess I don't get a point for that, but I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> and then also, I guess I was wrong, though, because then Dario ended up being really great in the bubble. So there you go. Yeah, I, it's a it's a funny thing with Dario where he had to be utilized the right way, and he seems to not be able to be utilized the right way while sharing the court with DeAndre Ayton for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how good was Mikhail though? <laughs> I mean, yeah. oh I God. think I think it's a great thing for Suns fans where, uh, you know, we kind of knew. Obviously, we knew we hit the Suns hit with Devin Booker. Like that was a big thing. Getting him at thirteen is like the most important thing to happen to this franchise in fifteen years or whatever it is. Uh, and then DeAndre Ayton started to show something at the end of last season. All we knew of Mikhail Bridges was that he was going to be a great defender. There was some fear about his three-point shot at the beginning of the season. There was a hitch basically through half of the season. Uh, But it just really started to click towards the end of the season, and then it went to another level in these bubble games. He was so impressive, and like I said, I don't know that he'll ever be out of that starting lineup again, and that's that's the one player, I think, where I would say you can't take him out. Look, you can switch... Cameron Johnson out for Kelly Oubre, and I'm not going to be overly angry. If you, for some for some reason, if you take Mikhail out of that starting lineup, you're completely insane. I don't think it'll happen, by the way. But Max, what are your thoughts just in general about Mikhail? Could not agree more with you. He compliments your two stars absolutely perfectly. You could not build a player in the lab. You'd want to compliment Booker and Aiton more perfectly, honestly. Uh, not only the shooting, which is starting to look, I'm starting to feel pretty good about that being real now. It's back to Villanova Bridges, thank God. Uh, that, that odyssey that we had with his shot was not fun, but I'm glad mm-hmm. we're at the end of it. Uh, but defensively, I mean, he, he went up another level in the bubble. He was unbelievable defensively. I, I think he was one of the best defensive players in the bubble. And he's, I mean, that's some of the best defense I've seen a son play in a long time. And, you know, like PJ Tucker sort of stuff, uh, back to the Mary and that kind of thing. And it's, it's the play that I love to focus on because it was so amazing. Was, do you remember that one where I think Aiden turned it over? Somebody turned it over mm. and, and it was either OKC or Philly was coming back down the other side of the court. And McKill just like envelops a pass with his arm, takes it and shoots a three and just nails it. It's just mm-hmm. an unbelievable play. And a play he would not have made uh, before the bubble. He would not have had the confidence to make that play. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just so encouraging, man. I think you know the way Booker kept us good in offense throughout the whole thing, consistently good. Mikel did the same thing for us defensively, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that was against Philly too, Philly, which yeah. is like an extra level of exciting, <laughs> <laughs> doing mm-hmm. it to the team that traded him. Yeah, I, I just was so impressed with him throughout, and I'm excited to see him progress. I, I think that his offensive ceiling is going to continue to be a question for Suns fans because he is older too, right? He played more years in college. There, there is quite a, a wide range of 
comparisons that Suns fans are still throwing out for Mikhail Bridges, anywhere from Shane Battier to Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> so we will find <laughs> out in the next year or two uh, which one he's going to trend towards. Yeah, I mean the the scrimmage games in the bubble, he looked like a all like a future all star, <laughs> and then that kind of went away a little bit. But you know, in his defense, I think what also happened past the scrimmage is that he was tasked with guarding the best player on the other team every single night, mm-hmm. and the amount of focus it takes to guard the best player on the other team is pretty high. Uh, you might want to rest a little offensively and uh, focus defensively, and I think he was pretty amazing. But it it will be interesting to see. Because his attacking the basket, his ability to shoot from mid-range or like that short jumper, it's yeah. not going to get blocked very often. So I just wonder how much he's going to develop that in the offseason for whatever next year starts. Yeah. <laughs> and we can see those games. But uh, I was very impressed. I'm excited to watch him grow in his career. And the touch looks pretty good on that jumper, too. I like, I like what it looks like. It, it rimmed in and out a couple times in the bubble, but I, I just like the way it looked every single time he shot it. And also the finishing around the rim got a lot better. He was making some reverse finishes he would not have made yeah. uh, earlier in, in his career. So that was really exciting. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be quite Leonard. I hope so, but I don't <laughs> think so. But I do think there's a good chance that he's uh, a little better on offense than maybe people are uh, expecting him to be right now. Yeah, I mean, he's just basically like one of those like super role players. I, yep. You know, he's a role player, but it, there's like something between role player and all star that guys can reach. Uh, you know, he is the type of guy like if the Suns were a contender and he was only averaging eleven or twelve points per game, he might still be an all star, uh, just because that's what happens when you're winning a ton of games. But uh, you know, Draymond Green esque type stat line. But I'm I'm excited to see him grow. The next one we had was Ricky Rubio assists, and this was set at 7.1, and he smashed that with 8.8. 7.1 would have been, I think, the most he had in a few years already, so 8.8 was a pretty big improvement, the most he's had since he was on Minnesota. I said over, Sammy said under, and then Max and the fans both said over, so yeah, Sam, totally, you were the only one that totally said... I was totally wrong under. on this one. Defend yeah, yourself. But <laughs> <laughs> defend, defend myself. Well, I I think it's fair that my first of all, I said obviously Rubio handled the ball a lot in in Utah, but he had touches taken away from him by Donovan Mitchell. I I think Devin Booker is better than Donovan Mitchell, so the first part of the argument is right there. I thought he was going to continue to to have those touches taken away from him, um, and uh, by Devin Booker not get to dominate the ball enough to get back to his Minnesota days where he was averaging eight or nine or ten assists per game. Um, yeah, so that was the main thing. But also, really, just like Monty Williams got the Suns to average 30 assists per game this year, or, or close, maybe it was 27 or 28. Um, but regardless, they were first in the league. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. Like, even if you guys hit the over, I don't think you guys saw that coming, did you? No, I don't think so. I mean, you listen to the podcast. Maybe you can remind me. This is the only vague recollection I have so far of what my reasoning was. I think it was just that I thought Utah's offense was junk and that Ruby would play better. <laughs> you you did offense. say that. You you spared no expense. Um throwing out uh, some insults for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I'm doing that. (laughs) I remember my thinking being, I didn't see where playmaking was going to come from besides those two guys. And that turned out being true. That's and and actually that is why that is why I was wrong, because I argued with you on that. So what I said is I think Mikhail Bridges can average like a few assists per game and Dario can average a few assists per game and DeAndre Ayton can average a few assists per game. And so I was like, well, if all those guys are getting assists, then Booker and Rubio will average less. And I was wrong because kind of just everyone averaged a lot of assists. I mean, mm. they, they just blew my expectations away. I think, though, just factoring in no competent backup point guard was like a big part of it because I do wonder if they had like 
a competent backup point guard for the entire season, would Ricky Rubio's assists have gone down? Uh, because maybe they would have been staggered a little bit less and he would have had more time playing next to Devin Booker. Who knows uh, what it would have really looked like. But I think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that when Devin was off the floor, uh, Ricky was running the show a, a lot of times and, and that ended up in more assists. There was a period of time in the season where Rubio against a bench with bench players was just kind of murdering him and, and carving him up for a lot of assists. And I think that pumped up his averages a lot. And that was during the season when he averaged over 10 assists for a pretty significant period of time. But uh, pretty pretty impressive season. You know, I, I, I think that, in my opinion, since it's the end of the season now, it's the first season we've been able to watch him, he exceeded my expectations. I thought he would be good. And I thought he would be very impactful because of how bad just the addition by subtraction and even getting an average point guard made a huge difference. But he exceeded my expectations. Just from an overall perspective on Ricky Rubio, Max, uh, how did you feel about it? Very much agree. Uh, I, I kind of saw some of the passing coming. I don't. I didn't think. I didn't see as good as it ended up being. Um, he was incredible for a while there. I think the thing that surprised me the most with him, I didn't really realize he could get his own shot and his own kind of his own shot at the rim as much as he can, especially late in games. He had a couple in the bubble and also I think in the season had some nice uh, like you know late drives to sort of give you that two points cushion you needed to go from like three points to five points in certain games, and that was something I didn't realize he could do. Really like seeing that. I think for him it's a lot about health. And we actually, David and I spoke about this the other day. Um, I think going forward for him, it's going to be key to keep his minutes down. Uh, he was really good in the bubble, and I think he averaged like 26.8 minutes in the bubble, 26.9, something like that. Um, and I think that's going to be key for him going forward because, you know, he's only getting older. Uh, I think he's going to be 30 next season. So I think, again, we, I mentioned earlier about getting another guard in front of him. That's one way to do it. But I think no matter how you do it, you want to find a way to keep his minutes down to, to make the last two years of his son's uh, contract, yeah. you know, as protective as possible. That's a really good point, Max. He he was at 28 with his last season at Utah, okay. and then he shot up. Oh, no, he was at 28 with oh. Utah last season. Then he shot up to 31 with Phoenix overall this year. But he did average less in the bubble, like you were saying. So, so yeah, that should be the ideal is get another decent guard in the backcourt who can take a little bit of pressure off of him, and then you can comfortably bring him back down to 27, 28, hopefully get a little bit more out of him. Don't forget also that this is a guy who plays still with the Spanish team so often. Obviously, those plans fell apart this year, um, but but that happens with Rubio enough that he's just kind of a player who has been in the NBA for 11 seasons and never really has an offseason. He's just always playing yeah. basketball. Yeah, and he's been playing forever too. Yeah, yeah. Since he professionally since 16, I think is 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 what he's been doing. So, um, yeah, I think I still think the Suns have a bit of a question mark as far as long term uh, point guard, like point guard of the future. And I wonder what they're going to do. Like, I wonder if they plan on just solving that in free agency later or if they're going to try and draft a guy or what they're going to do. I mean, we, we already talked about it, uh, whether or not campaign will be on the team next season. I'm not overly confident that he will be based on James Jones's comments. Oh, and, whoa, whoa, you know, what do you say? Sorry, I missed that. Uh, he said that he's not going to let the bubble dictate how he views the offseason, basically. Hmm. Yeah. And he's just so cheap, that team option for the minimum. It'd be hard to imagine that at least giving him a shot. I think yeah. he should get a shot for sure. I just don't know if they're actually going to give him any playing time out of like right. after training camp. But he should totally 100% he earned a shot. Yeah, I, I my I hypothesized to Sam that they're going to be at some point arguing between whether it's Javon Carter or Cameron Payne for that sort of third string uh guard position, that extra guard that they have and maybe it's a little easier to find someone that can do what campaign does. It's just for the price it's it's hard to argue with what you're saying there. I just I wonder 
like a lot of the stuff we saw is how sustainable it is. <laughs> yeah, and, no. uh, I mean, he's not he's not a fifty one percent three point shooter, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what we covered. So yeah, uh, we'll see what he what they end up doing there. But yeah, overall, a great season for Ricky Rubio. I mean, his best shooting season. We didn't have any over unders for his shooting, but his best shooting season as well, which I think made a huge difference. I don't. I still don't think that even though that he is making that three when it's wide open and that's important. He still really has no gravity there at all. Like, guys don't guard him at that three-point line, which is fine. Over time, if he makes 41% of those wide-open catch-and-shoots, if they're not guarding him, fine. Just continue passing it to him, and he'll punish them from there. But it is interesting that he still kind of is not... The reputation hasn't really caught back up with him there. Yep. Uh, Cameron Johnson, games with four or more three-pointers made. I'm proud of this over-under. I set it at five. And he had six, hey. six games wow. with four or more. I don't think any of them, oh, one of them was in the bubble against Dallas. The rest of them were uh, just in, sort of in the middle of the season. Uh, one game with five, the rest of them were four. I, I, honestly, I kind of thought he would have even more than that. Uh, you know, obviously at the beginning of the season, I thought it would be more than five. But now when I was looking up the numbers, I was like, oh, yeah, he must have had seven or eight. Um, you know, but it's only six, one over. Um, let's see who said what I said over. Oh, we all said over, including the fans. So we all got that one, right? Confidence in Cam Johnson, even though at that time people were killing the Suns for that pick. I guess when I you think have we one major down. skill, um, I think that was August though. You know, like people were killing the pick in June, even some Suns fans. And then by August, people have calmed down and, and had come to the realization that, okay, this is our guy, Ty Jerome. That's our guy. And we're going to rally behind him. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were killing. I mean, I know me personally. I was I wasn't really killing Cam so much. I didn't know much about him. I was just mad they didn't take Brandon Clark. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, we once you go back and watch Cam, you're like, all right, this guy can shoot. I mean, we at least know he can shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the you know the revelation with him is that he could do so much more. He was fine defensively as a starting four, which is pretty shocking, and could do a little bit more on offense too. In transition, he was really good. But yeah, the shooting was never a question. And man, if they don't have him shooting ten threes a game next season, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. He should be shooting ten threes a game. I completely agree. Uh, and I think they should run more plays for him. I think they started to do a little bit more of that in the bubble, which was pretty nice. Yeah. He was running around screens and, and catching it and shooting it, especially if they can run the, the plays to get him open in the corners. He's pretty deadly from the corner. What I've noticed, and maybe this is all just like a mental thing for me, but it doesn't seem like, and I haven't looked up the stats, it doesn't seem like he has much of a range outside of just sort of feet right behind the line. He took a couple long threes. It didn't seem like a lot of those went in. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but it seems like he, he's got to kind of right, be right up against the line to make that. I've um, never noticed that. I'm going to have to look that up at some point. I should. Yeah, have I just don't have, a lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of instances in my brain of him shooting for much further than that. I don't think he does it very often. No, he, does, he doesn't. He yeah. shoots off movement pretty well, though. At least in college he did. He had a couple I, of how many? But... How many rookies could like have the liberty to do that and not be sent straight to the bench? Like that's Trey, fair. maybe. Yeah, that's when he a was a rookie, I wouldn't mind if he did it. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I'm just curious if Monty would would kind of be like, "All right, that that's enough." You know, you Eddie, know? John, Eddie Johnson would have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, overall, I mean, we already covered him a little bit. Cam Johnson, great season, very very fun to watch, and I think uh, made James Jones very proud. I think, and he should be. I think he nailed that pick and. Uh, they did the right thing there. And I do I do want to remind people, though, not that I feel the need to talk people down from being excited about something, but he is 24. He should have been better than most rookies coming into this season. Mm. And he was, which is good. 
I mean, it's good that he wasn't worse than a lot of rookies, but I mean, he's 24. So like a lot of these guys are 20, 21. They're going to have a little more time to be better. Maybe they'll be better than Cameron Johnson by the time they're 24. Maybe they won't. Uh, but it is good that he was good. But remember, one of the things we talked about is one of the reasons James Jones was drafting older players is that he wanted them to be able to perform right away. One of them did. We'll talk about the other one in a few minutes here. <laughs> Monty Williams' pace. So This was a great one. Yeah, interesting. This was a great one. I set the over-under at 12th. Uh, and if you said over, it meant you thought it was going to be better than that. So like 10th, 9th, 8th, you know, from there. Uh, if you said under, that means you thought it was going to be slower than the 12th. And that's just overall in the league out of the 30 teams. Um, over, it hit over, and the Suns were ninth in pace. Mm. And what I should have done, and I'm actually interested in this, is if they got faster during the bubble, I think they may have been a little bit faster during the bubble than they were in the regular season. Um you know, they just, I think, you know, part of I that think, was, don't quote me on this. I'd have to go and double check, but I think I looked it up at one point. I think every team was faster in the bubble. I was just going to say right. that. It felt and that I don't, way. I don't know why. I, mm. I, I honestly don't know why, but I'm pretty sure like every team got a few possessions faster. My guess is people were fresh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I will say this. I watched the Portland-Memphis game, and they looked exhausted, <laughs> both of those teams. Uh, I mean, that's giving it your all, I think, for a bunch of games in a row there. But by the end of that Portland-Memphis uh, game, it looked like a team like on a Game 7. where I'm they surprised were surprised you did that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch that. But not to get off topic too much here, but I think L.A., for that reason, and also because Portland plays no defense, the Lakers are going to crush Portland, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I feel like that, too, yeah. yeah and I think there's a chance, a chance that... There's a chance that uh, Portland can steal one sort of Allen Iverson style uh, just off of one incredible performance by Damian Lillard. But beyond that, yeah. I think you're right. I do think they're going to struggle, though. They have a few guys missing that could have guarded him uh, in KCP and Avery Bradley. I think mm. that that's kind of tough that they're missing them. But, yeah, uh, I said over, by the way, Sam and the fans got this wrong. Max and I got it right. Mm. Um, I don't blame I don't blame you, Sam. We really had no idea how much Monty Williams was going to be different from when he had previously coached. And I think, I don't know, whatever our impressions were before the bubble were probably one thing. And I imagine they're pretty drastically different after the bubble. But what, what do you think, Sam? You, yeah, you're you the one that picked under. You shouldn't blame me. Me and the fans, we are a very reasonable <laughs> folk. Um, and I think the only, like you said, the only info we had on Monty coming in was that he coached, he used to coach slow teams. So why wouldn't he continue to coach slow teams? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was basically the extent of my logic. And, uh, Credit to him because I didn't think he would do it, and he did it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Sam. Why did we go over? Did we just look at the personnel and just assume um, that? You actually, Max, had a really interesting reason that is escaping me. Um, I think you might have thought that the entire league was going to get a little that, like, we were going to stay basically stagnant from where we were with Igor, but that the rest of the league would get a little bit slower. Oh, yeah. It was based and, on the Warriors breaking up. I think that's what I thought. Yes, and based on the Warriors breaking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was your reason. Um, Mike, I don't know what you said. I think <laughs> no, it was Ricky Rubio related. I think partially. it was Ricky. Ru- I think it was yeah. definitely Ricky Rubio Makes related. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a pretty simple uh, thought process there. A guy great in transition is going to make the team a little bit faster, and I think he did. Yep. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I was just – I think Monty Williams uh, was the most important uh, – of all the things that happened this last off season. Uh, over a year ago the Monty Williams part I think was long-lasting probably the most important part the players respect him the league respects him 
The media respects him. And he seems to have learned from his time with OKC and his time with Philadelphia. And I think he's going to be a pretty good coach for this team uh, long-term. At least I hope so. And I think he proved that when the lights were the brightest for the Suns, when they needed to win every single game, he made a lot of the right choices, including shortening the, the rotation by a lot of players and just playing the guys who he trusted. And, and I think he did a good job overall. Uh, Max, what do you think? Yeah, listeners, if you haven't watched the video yet of him speaking to the locker room after the uh, 8-0, uh, mm-hmm. watch that, and I think you will not be arguing with what Mike just said. Monty, is, uh, he's the right guy. We, uh, we hit a grand slam on that hire. Yep. Pretty amazing that he chose the Suns over the Lakers, with LeBron James, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, it's got to be like a personality thing, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense otherwise. He must not get along with somebody there. Yeah, and I think coaching L.A. requires like a certain... Like, you're going to be under the microscope constantly. People are going to be asking for you to be fired yeah. after every single bad game. Exactly. And it's just yeah. not super. And coaching LeBron is probably not very easy as well. You know, like, how many coaches have been fired with, on a LeBron James team? So, That's a great point. You know, I, I think that had something to do with it. But it's nice for Suns fans that not only did he do that, but he's, he's working out so far with the Suns. Any thoughts on that, Sam? Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of sense to choose Phoenix over L.A. for those reasons, um, but it takes a certain type of personality to want it. Especially because he had kind of a hard life, right? I can see why he'd choose a quality of yeah. life position. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also the money goes a lot further in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. All right, Jalen LeCue, games played. So this is the only one... We were talking before this uh, podcast uh, started recording. This was the only one where I considered possibly prorating. I don't think it matters, actually, because I set the over-under at 9.5. Everyone picked under, including the fans, and it was under. He played six games, and the whole thought process was, would he get in to get any sort of minutes as far as uh, like developmental minutes? Uh, and he did, uh, six games of it. Um, never really played when it How mattered. How many uh, total minutes did he play this season? I'm curious. Well, no, it can't be a lot. <laughs> I imagine a lot of those six games were two or three minutes, maybe less uh, for some of them. But, um, yeah, under six minutes. I think the only thing really that's interesting about LeCue now is that the Suns no longer have a G League team, and that leaves his future sort of up in the air. Uh, 32 total minutes to answer the question. Ah. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, a little over five minutes per a game. A game. Yeah, a game. Yeah. He played a full game. He, play, he played a full game. <laughs> um. Two years guaranteed, two years team option was Jalen the Q's contract. So technically he's still signed uh, under contract next year. They can still let him go. Uh, I don't know how much they view him as a long-term asset if they get completely get rid of the G League team entirely. Not that it's worth having a G League team just for one player. There's a lot more reasons that you should have a G League team than just one single player. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't really have any thoughts other than he was pretty bad this season. Max, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I guess the only thing I'll say, uh, I mean, we knew he was going to be bad, so I'm not worried about that. I mean, hang on to him, see what he is. He's, a, he's definitely a lottery ticket. And the other thing is I think uh, we would have gone over on this one had the season continued, I think, because we would have given up in late March and April and just started playing him. Uh, and I'm really glad that didn't happen. So I'm going to put it that way. I, I hate, yeah. I'm so glad we did not have late March, uh, early April Suns basketball this year. I did not miss it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You can argue that the bubble thing is the reason why they went. You know, the reason why they actually pushed because there was a m- much higher chance with that play-in of actually getting into into the playoffs. And ho- hopefully, they adopt something like that going forward in the future. You have any thoughts on Jalen Lequeux, Sam? 
Uh, I, I just think the G League thing, and sorry to harp on it, I guess, that's really unfortunate. I don't really understand the logic of selecting a guy who's 18 years old straight out of high school if you're going to give up on him a year later. <laughs> um, like, why not just take a 23-year-old who just, you know, played four years of college ball and graduated but went undrafted? There are plenty of those guys, too. And a guy like that would have more of, uh, a more solid chance of being an instant contributor. So um, I'm taking that as an indication that hopefully James Jones does see some value. Uh, in the queue and and is going to keep him around for a little while longer but exactly in what capacity i'm not sure yeah it'll be interesting i I don't know how consequential it is Uh, he would have to develop pretty dramatically in order to be a useful nba player going forward but he's still kids so who knows uh another rookie ty jerome minutes per game this one's a little embarrassing for me i said it at elia kobo's minutes per game that's why it's 18.1 which Mm. is a lot he played 10.6 and then didn't play a lot. We kind of factored that in, that there would be times that he wouldn't play at all. That's what happened with Elia Kobo, too. But he still somehow played... By the way, Elia Kobo in 2018-19 played 18 minutes a game. Uh, nice. If anyone's wondering why the Suns were so bad in 18-19, we can just point <laughs> at that stat alone. I was the only one that picked over. And my thought process was, he's 6'5", he can play with Devin Booker, he can play with Ricky Rubio. And there's no real backup guard on this team that could get a lot of minutes. Ricky Rubio is not going to play a ton. I expected Ty Jerome to play more. It didn't happen. He went significantly under. And it's hard to say anything other than he was a pretty big disappointment. He struggled with injuries. It's possible he'll get better. But uh, what do you think, Max? Yeah, I'm a I'm a Ty Jerome fan, and you know, even I I really have nothing good to say about his rookie year other than that he just you know he didn't have much of a chance because like you said the injury. Uh, he, you know, he was a guy who is always going to overcome his lack of athleticism. He's going to be the least athletic player in the NBA for as long as he's in the NBA, basically. Um, I think for him to get there, he's going to have to get a lot, a lot stronger. Uh, just be able to push people around a little bit more than he is, because he's never going to beat people off the dribble and such. So he's going to have to kind of be Andre Miller and push his way around. And obviously, he's not going to be there in his first year. It's a good year. comparison. Um, it's that's kind of like my saying. That's like my best case scenario for him basically yeah he's a really smart player he's big he's, he's tall he's not big yet he needs to get big in addition to being tall and maybe then he can use his intelligence and also the other thing about him and here's why i think it's really important for him his second year you're never going to see a step ahead of people as a rookie unless i guess like luca or lebron maybe but you know almost any rookie's not going to see a step ahead mm-hmm. of the rest of the players he's a guy who needs to be seen a step ahead mm-hmm. uh, or he's just not going to be good so i think you know i wouldn't totally give up on him yet and I caution Suns fans against that. But if we're not seeing significant improvement next year, I'm, I'm going to be very, very nervous with him. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I, I even think there's a small chance that they cut ties this offseason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, they have to get rid of it, at least one of him or Ellie if they want to improve that backup yeah. spot and possibly both of them. So, yeah, totally mm-hmm. could happen. Mm-hmm. Any other Ellie's thoughts on uh, Ty? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything Max said. I think his road to success in the NBA is doing a couple of things. It's getting stronger so that he can kind of succeed in that uh, pick-and-roll playmaker position as a point guard. But also, and I know this is something that, that David has said a lot before, um, is him kind of succeeding in that off-ball guard position mm-hmm. where just using his shooting as his biggest asset, like if he could actually become a 38 to 40% uh, spot up shooter from from three point range, then maybe you could curl him around screens and kind of play him off ball a little bit uh, next to a guy like Devin Booker. Maybe he could succeed that way, but but that would require him to guard some twos, and uh, right now he can't even guard ones. So it's a long it's a long road, but but he's he's got a chance. 
And one thing I'll say real quick on the shooting is he did not shoot well this year, but man, how many in and out misses did he have? Like, oh, I, yeah. I know the guy could shoot. He can no, shoot. No, he, sure. he can yeah. definitely shoot. He's yeah. got a good release, and it just didn't didn't happen. Did not. Yeah, you can see it. He always gets his feet under him too when he shoots. He had some they're not, interesting. They're not Kaminsky misses. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he had some interesting like uh, shot clock winding down moments where he hit some like I don't know. I don't know how clutch they are when it's just the shot clock or the end of the second quarter, but. Uh, he made some uh, buzzer beaters this season where he looked under control. Uh, this one's pretty interesting. Baines screen assists. We had to have one Aaron Baines uh, question in here. I set the over under at three, and he had exactly three screen assists per game. Wow. So this was a push. I said under. Sam said under. Max and the fans said over. We were all technically wrong because it was exactly three. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's really not a lot to say about his screen assist. It was more of a joke than anything else <laughs> about David. David Locke, I think, was the target of that uh, specific. Oh, was that there. around? Was that around the Gobert comment that I think it David was? Locke had yeah, made? Wow. yeah. yeah. Uh, but it should be said, Aaron Baines was really great, and if he didn't get injured, maybe this entire Suns being half a game out of the bubble thing would not be a problem at this point. It's not just. Uh, you know, the DeAndre Ayton suspension when DeAndre Ayton was suspended, what we talked about was how much that affects the overall depth in general. And that if somebody did get injured, it would be a disaster. Somebody did. He took a Jalen Brown knee to the ribs, which cracked a rib, I think. And he was out for a while, Uh, but he was really good. I think there was a period of time where he was like a top 10 center in the NBA legitimately and uh, really impressive. I don't know what is going to be the what's going to happen with Aaron Baines going forward next season? But I think he was a great influence on DeAndre, and I'm really glad he was on the Suns this year. Uh, Max, what do you think? Oh, absolutely! And anybody who's upset about the Ty Jerome trade should remember that he was in that. So that 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 trade has some value no matter what ends up happening going forward. Um, I, I think before the bubble started, I would have given a better chance that he comes back than now. I actually think now the chances that Dario comes back are much higher, and almost kind of they kind of found something with him as a backup five. Totally, because uh, you know you can get away with that in the NBA now. Uh, a backup five of his size, so I kind of feel like that's more likely now that we're going to get Dario back and have Baines go. You are preaching to the choir on this podcast, friend, because we have been mm. we have been entirely aboard that train um, that Dario is a backup five. I think it's funny though, because like I think Monty has bought into it at this point. Like he has to put Dario in those situations, and by the time we got to the bubble games, he recognized that he was in a better position with Dario at the five than say Kaminsky. Um, does James Jones, from a team building perspective, though, that's my question. Like, does James Jones believe that um, that that he could go into next season with Dario Saric as his backup center? That I'm not quite sure about. Um, really but I do question, think it's going to be yeah. a really interesting question. And James Jones, I mean, you know, GMs do like to preserve themselves and make them look good. And he did trade the fixed pick for the yeah. Olympic and Dario, so he's going to want to make that look good, I would assume. So it gives it more chance that it'll happen. Oh, and remember that one of the reasons it was good to trade for Dario was that the Suns still kind of control his destiny, whereas Aaron mm-hmm. Baines is completely unrestricted. Baines coming back may have nothing to do with the Suns. He could go somewhere. He could retire. Like, you, you, there's all these possibilities for Aaron Baines here. He's never had a payday, by the way, so he could be somebody looking for a little more money as well. He's always been kind of near the bottom of the league in, in pay. But Dario's restricted, so there's a chance that they can control uh, his future a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, Baines was great. And I think, like I said, uh, DeAndre Ayton going against Aaron Baines in practices, I think was still great for him too. And the amount that Aaron Baines communicates was also, I think, a good lesson for DeAndre Ayton as well. No surprise there. I think we all expected him to be a good leader, and he was. 
he's a champion. Uh, Tyler Johnson, games played for the Suns. 55 was the over-under. I think that was set uh, on the date of the trade deadline. So there's 55 games before the trade deadline. Uh, he played 31 for the Suns, in, including uh, times where he was on the team and just didn't play. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden he looked great in the bubble again. Proof that the bubble games aren't a good uh, way to you know, completely review uh, these guys as far as future success. Uh, we all picked over, I believe. And I think the justification, so we we're all wrong. Uh, I think the justification for that was that he's going to be impossible to trade, which turned out to be true. Uh, he couldn't be traded, but uh, he's no longer on the Suns. It feels like a distant memory that he was even on the Suns in the first I was going to say, it, it, you just blew my mind saying that Tyler Johnson played 31 games for the Suns this year. <laughs> I remembered him in like five. Honestly, same, <laughs> like same, same, like same. five max is yeah. all I remembered. Yeah, I get, and we don't have to linger on that one because what's the point? Uh, <laughs> I guess the only thing I'll say is, did you count the uh, the, the Nets versus Portland game as, as the Suns? <laughs> I, I still could have, and it would have still been under, so <laughs> maybe I should have. Uh, this one, pretty quick to talk about. All-Stars traded for 0.5, basically saying, would the Suns cash in some of their chips to try and get like Blake Griffin, Kevin Love or something. We all picked under, uh, and it was under. Obviously, the Suns traded for no all-star um, this season in general. So that that one we all hit. And I think we all justified it pretty easily. I think the Suns are going to try and see what they got with their core. James Jones at the time was talking about how he believed the Suns already had two all-stars, two superstars on the team, and he wanted to build around those two guys. Um, so, and we'll see what he does this offseason. The next one we'll touch on quickly as well. Kaminsky memes. We said it over under 200. This one was obviously a joke one, but I want to say we all said over, including the fans. I want to say, I feel like it was under. I don't feel like we laughed about Frank Kaminsky that much. I feel like it was more like a pain thing to watch him play defense or to watch him brick three after three after three. It wasn't as funny as I expected it to be. I expected it to be funnier to have Frank Kaminsky on the team. Uh, but either way, we're either all right or all wrong. I marked us all as right for that one because it was a joke <laughs> category. But uh, I imagine we're not going to see Frank Kaminsky in his son's jersey ever again. What do you think, Sam? Uh, it's unlikely. I'd say there's like a 95% chance we don't see Frank Kaminsky uh, again. On the other hand, like he wasn't. I think the bubble exacerbated how bad he seemed. Like, if if he's got a team option for $4 million next year, he wasn't that awful. I don't think he's coming back as a son, but I, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, if uh, I recall correctly, Sam, didn't you and I uh, dispute him a little bit on Twitter earlier? Not not in the bubble, but I think last year or sometime. I was very, very Before his very injury, hard. yeah. Yeah, I was extremely hard on Kaminsky. Yeah, I just didn't like him. And I think that's just kind of what it was. Like, we expected, to go back to what you were talking about, Mike, like, maybe we expected it to be like the Suns are almost a playoff team or they're winning games. And, you know, it's, like, easy to kind of joke at your players doing dumb stuff when that happens. Like, Frank Kaminsky is just, like, he's goofy, but he's lovable. Like, that's Frank Kaminsky, but no. He dances. Yeah, he dan. <laughs> look, he dances. Yeah. It's funny, right? But, like, no, it wasn't. He bricks threes and... Uh, I don't know. Credit to him. Like well, we talked about this in a previous episode. Has there ever been like a 35% three point shooter who just looks like the worst shooter ever uh, in, in the history of the NBA? That's kind of more what we saw out of Frank. 
And you know what happened to actually recall this now. Uh, what happened was Aiton got suspended and Baines got hurt, and then we had to start him and play him as a starting center. And that's when I was just I was just going off on him constantly on Twitter. <laughs> and your point, which was totally fair, was this is not fair to him, right? He's, this is not his role. He shouldn't be here. I think I just responded with, yeah, but I hate him. I wasn't <laughs> See, you blew my mind again, guys. It's been such a, like, fr- I just looked it up. Frank Kaminsky started 13 games this season. Ugh, I don't remember, oh, I don't remember any of this. I really don't remember any of this. It's been so long. You should be happy. You blacked it out probably. <laughs> yeah. I think that the Suns are going to want that cap space, uh, just period. And so he's gone for the record. But yeah, I, you know, not, n- no reason to spend too much time on Frank Kaminsky because like I said, I don't think he's going to be playing. Uh, in a Suns jersey any longer. The rest of them, the rest of our over-unders here, are Devin Booker-related. These are all pretty interesting uh, from my perspective here. Uh, This one specifically, Devin Booker charges drawn. This one, Hmm. the idea around this one was when Devin Booker's ultra-engaged defensively, he takes more charges uh, than when he's not. I think I looked at specific times where the Suns were winning games, including the... Uh, stretch with Kelly Oubre where they were like six and six after the Kelly Oubre trade and just in general in those specific games he averaged more charges than others I set the over under at 5.5 I believe the most he ever drew in a season this is total the most he ever drew in a season was five so we're saying can he draw more charges than he's ever drawn before you guys are probably at on the edge of your seats here trying to figure out how many he drew uh for the record, we all set over. We all set over, and it was under. He only drew four charges this wow. season. Yeah, and you could say this was another one that we could have prorated. I still think it would be under 5.5 if we prorated this one uh, just because there would have been just 10 more games, and that's not enough to add 1.5 more charges. I was kind of surprised by that number. I, I don't know what you guys think. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I would have guessed it was more in the seven to eight range, and you know we're talking about just a few charges here and there. Yeah, but I was surprised it was only four. I, I don't know. Here's the thing about Devin Booker: like in the bubble, he played better defense for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had foul problems also for sure. Mm-hmm. Smoothed that a little bit towards the end, but I, I mean he's just never going to be like a heady Kyle Lowry defender, you know? Yeah, I think he'll I, he can improve in the area. Charges John. I mean he's a smart enough player, but I'm I'm going to be happy with him if he just you know gets in the right place usually and doesn't get blown by on every play. That's my standard for Devin Booker. Yeah, I and I actually think because of that foul trouble, maybe avoiding that charge is more important for him yep. in the future because that's such a can-go-either-way call uh, that you know putting it on the refs to make that call in his favor maybe isn't a great idea. So I don't really mind that number, but I expected it to be over. Do you have any thoughts on it, Sam? Uh, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, I, I think there were other guys who were added to this roster overall that were more important to generating charges than we could have ever reasonably expected out of Devin Booker. Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio carried the load there. Um, It would have been nice to see Devin get seven or eight charges, but um, Baines had 16 charges total this year. He was top 10 in the league. That's the real guy that we have to point Mm -hmm. at. It's like, obviously Mm -hmm. in many ways, I mean, I know Javon Carter just won the the Dan Marley Hustle Award, but in many ways, Baines was kind of that guy in the front court for us. who really showed some leadership there. So I, I would give my one shout out to him in terms of charges taken. Yeah, you know, we, we, uh, we kind of, I, I can't remember we talked about that in that particular podcast, Sam, but I, I think people have looked at Steve Nash before, right? As somebody who wasn't mm-hmm. a very good defender, but did yeah. draw charges. I think a couple of things there. One is that Steve Nash does not, did not have a foul problem ever. So I think that's why he was able to do that. He didn't have to worry about it so much. 
And the other thing was Steve Nash never had the scoring load Booker has. And I think it's probably rare for guys with really high scoring loads to draw a lot of charges. I just, right. It just be my guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I think you're right. Just the type of defender he he can be, even when he's good, is not really going to be that guy. And also, look what happened to Aaron Baines. That's how he got hurt. I mean, yeah. he was out of the, yeah. he he was taking a charge on a guy who's gonna try to dunk on you, and he took a knee to the ribs. And it's not fun to watch. But yeah, uh, Booker points per game. Here's uh, our let's fun. see, twenty seven. We set it pretty high. I was surprised. Twenty seven, or I set it pretty high. Twenty seven point nine. I took under, Sam took under, Max took over, and the fans took over. This was a very close uh, vote for the fans, 49% to 51%, basically, uh, for the fan vote. So very close. And he he hit under 26.6, I think, is what he ended the season with. Pretty significantly under, but a point and a half under, basically. Uh, but in no way disappointed, I think, in scoring. His efficiency went up. Um, his usage rate went up just a little bit. Uh, but I guess, I mean, I'm still kind of surprised it wasn't more than that. Max, it's what narratives said, do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, truly. Like, you you look at the two stat lines, just the raw, basic box score stat lines for Devin Booker year over year, they look almost identical. I mean, he did improve his efficiency a little bit this year. I think that's the Ricky Rubio effect. But overall, they're pretty similar in um, the way that, that the media is speaking about him this year versus last year. It's just because of the winning. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and the ways he got a lot better, they're not even commenting on, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think. The passing definitely got a lot better, particularly yeah. the cross-court passing, but no one really talks about that outside of Suns land. Um, and the scoring's gotten a lot better in certain ways. Again, everyone's just like, oh, now he's finally efficient. He's been efficient for a little while. He became more efficient, like you said. But right. yeah, I think I think the thing that we didn't see coming as much, I mean, kind of did, because Monty had mentioned like whatever the half-second offense or whatever he said. But they really, as particularly early on in the season, were adhering to that very closely. And Booker was passing up a lot, uh, just trying to get his teammates involved. Yeah. I think he really focused on that this year. And that's something I don't think we all saw coming. Although you guys had under and I didn't. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I just expected, I, I guess I expected more scoring to come from other places. I don't actually remember why, how I justified uh, that one specifically. Uh, it's it's an interesting thing. I think his off-ball movement got better this season too. Just just mm-hmm. comes from being able to have somebody else handle the ball pretty regularly. But I, I, I watched for this project, we released a few YouTube videos. I watched... Every shot Devin Booker took this season, I watched every single one. And the way that he got open on sort of those flare screens, the screens where a a center is setting a screen for him to pop up like to the three-point line or to like a high post area, the way he got better at running his man into that screen and losing his man around the big man screen was pretty impressive. I, I think that's something that maybe is hard to notice. Like Max said, maybe a lot of people who don't watch the team a lot are not going to notice that kind of thing, but he got a lot better at that. And I think it's one of the reasons his efficiency went up as well. If he catches the ball and the guy's already on his hip, I mean, we are, we all know what he can do in that scenario. He's just going to make a little floater. Absolutely. And one thing to point out too is, I mean, obviously he, I think he was what 30.1 or something like that in the bubble. And if you look at his per 100 possessions uh, points, he was third behind Giannis and Harden, ahead of Damian Lillard. So he was definitely scoring at a higher rate in the bubble. Yeah, and only 33 minutes per game when, you know, they were sort of at a have-to-win scenario. Of course, the reason he was only 33 minutes per game was foul trouble, mostly. Uh, But he was still able to get it done, still able to score 
all of those points. And a couple of uh, blowouts, too. There was that last game yeah. he only played like 20-something minutes because yeah, it sad. was over by the third quarter. Yeah, OKC, okay, too, I think, yeah. Yeah, that, that was kind of sad. I, I do think as, as well, the fact that Ricky Rubio was such a capable off-ball shooter allowed him to be on the ball a little bit more in the bubble, which meant a little bit more scoring from him, too. And I wonder how much they're going to do that next season. I think allowing him to sort of run that point guard a little bit more is, is likely. Um, and you know what? To Monty Williams's credit, he talked about that after the season ended. He said, we looked at the numbers, and Booker at point guard was pretty damn good, and we're going to run it more. And then they did. Glad you look at the numbers. Look at the numbers is good. Yeah, maybe do it during the season next time. <laughs> uh, Devin Booker assists per game. Over under 5.6. Uh, let's see. Me and Sam said over. Max, you said under. And the fans said under. And he went over. 6.5 assists per game. Fans said under or over? Under. Let me double check. That's interesting. Bit. Yes. Uh, it was also very close. I just would naturally expect the fans to be like, he's going to average 35 points and nine assists per game you know <laughs> i think they just you know the ex- expectation is ricky rubio's because this is like i think we said it at the number he had the previous year uh or his assists were similar maybe it was slightly under the previous year uh 51 said under 49 percent wow, so wow these were really close, close. One. the booker yeah. ones were wow. close yeah the booker ones were all close except for the last uh the last one which we're gonna get to which we all got right <laughs> as well um but yeah i mean we talked a little bit about it his pa- i think he didn't average like significantly more assists than previous years, but the passes and the accuracy of the passes got so much better. The difficulty of the passes got so much better. Uh, but Max, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, all I'll say is I'm never going to go under on Booker assists again because uh, <laughs> the leap he took as a passer. I mean, part of the assists in the, in the previous years because there's no one else to do it, and I think probably my logic was Rubio's here now. He'll focus more on scoring. But I mean, the way he's passing now, I mean, he's you know he's arguably a better passer than Rubio is. I mean, they're they're probably comparable. So at this point, I'm never going to take him under six again. That's for sure. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, don't don't bet against Devin Booker's playmaking. Um, it's absurd. <laughs> it's it's absurd. <laughs> the cross court passing with um, with either hands uh, at this point, and and his ability to find guys in the pick and roll is. I don't think there's any other shooting guard like him in the NBA for sure. Yeah, I thought. Uh, some uh, of the pro- well, I guess maybe James Harden. Yeah, if you count Harden, yeah, yeah, he's kind of full time point guard now. Yeah. Uh, especially with with Russell Westbrook playing center <laughs> for that team. <laughs> um, if you think about some of his passes too, I think uh, his using his height, I think is a big thing for those passes because some of those cross-court passes, there are guys, like Javon Carter couldn't make those passes he, because he just couldn't. Like it's physically impossible for him to do that because he doesn't have the height, he doesn't have the length, or even in some cases the athleticism to do those types of things. Uh it's just his ability to use all of the tools in the toolbox to do the right thing here, I think has gotten better every single year. And like you said, Sam, you look at the box score alone, maybe you don't notice a lot of major improvements other than like an obvious slight efficiency improvement. Uh, but just watching the games makes a big difference. You can see that he just uses all of the tools really, really well. And, uh, and that's why he was an all-star. The last one was Booker all-star appearances, 0.5. Obviously, we're basically betting whether or not he'd be an all-star. And he was. We almost all lost this one. We all said over on that one. <laughs> and it almost didn't happen. Thanks to Damian Lillard, who's our friend slash enemy now. Uh, got him in the all-star game, knocked him out of the playoffs. I mean, arguably, it was DeAndre Ayton's fault. Uh, the Suns didn't make the playoffs, but with that suspension. But he was Probably, an all-star pro- this yeah. year. 
He was an all-star, which is a nice thing. I mean, Sam and I really, really gushed. We spent about 15 minutes, 20 minutes on Devin Booker in our last podcast talking about his improvement and what uh, those games in the bubble meant for his reputation overall. But Max, I'd love to hear what you think just in general about Devin Booker this year. I, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about Devin Booker. I think in the bubble, he was – the guy takes a leap every single time he goes away for a little while. Doesn't he? Like every single offseason, and now we've had this mini offseason, it seems like he took another leap. I, I think we cannot harp enough on the cross-court passing. It's just so important. That's the pass – in the modern NBA that breaks defenses completely. It's how you get those wide-open corner shooters, and that's how you, your offense becomes ultra-efficient. It's why, you know, close your ears, Suns fans. It's why the Dallas Mavericks had the number one offense in NBA history this right. year. Oh, no. Because Luka Doncic can hit that pass. Oh, right? no. He's gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to turn into a good thing. The, the reason, the fact that Booker's doing that now, and if he can get even better at it, that's going to get Booker from, you know, maybe he can be a third-team All-NBA guard to maybe he can be a first-team All-NBA guard, right? Because yeah. that, that's how you get there. And the fact that we saw that from him, and he's still only 23, and he can score the way he does. I mean, he's the best mid-range scorer in the NBA right now. I don't really know how you could argue against that. He just is. So when you could add that to the fact that he finishes well, to the fact that he can shoot, I mean, hopefully shoot threes eventually. We think he shoots threes. He shoots well in the three-point contest. Uh, but if you add that whole package together, like, you're starting to look at, you know, you just mentioned him, Damian Lillard, who, by the way, I will always love. He is not my enemy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just I really can't say enough about him, man. He, he, to me, he, his upside went up from, like I said, the kind of third to second team all NBA guard range to the, to the first team all NBA guard range. I'm really excited about him. I think that's absolutely fair. Obviously, Sam, you and I talked a lot about Devin Booker on our last episode. Do you have anything else you want to say about him? Yeah, no, I think I basically got everything out of the way last episode. <laughs> Honestly, I would just <laughs> say I agree with everything Max just said. It's nice that other people are on our side now, though, right? Like, yes, like Stephen much. A. Smith is now a Devin Booker stand, which I never expected <laughs> to be the case. Uh, but that's that's kind of happening for him. Uh, and it's just nice to see him get that recognition. And, and it's even beyond just it being nice, it's also like, I mean, I have to imagine the last three years, this is the least Devin Booker's ever had in the back of his head that he might leave, right? He's got to feel the most confident about this franchise he's ever felt. Yeah. I hope so. I would say so. And I think, uh, you know, the players are one thing. Obviously, Cameron Johnson, I think... I, I have thoughts on how he feels about DeAndre Ayton. I'll be honest. And maybe mm-hmm. I'll save those for a future episode. But um, I, I kind of am under the impression maybe they don't get along as well as we hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's just the way they talk about each other sometimes. But Monty Williams, Cameron Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, I think those are like the main things. And really mainly Monty Williams, I think. And even James Jones. I think James Jones has proven himself a little bit this season. This offseason for James Jones will be huge as far as understanding the type of general manager he is and what kind of decisions he's going to make because I described the previous offseason as ripping a Band-Aid off. You just had to get it off as quickly as possible. It's going to hurt, but at least now it's off and you can move on from it. You can heal from there. And uh, hopefully he doesn't make those types of moves this season. He's got to capitalize on everything now because they're talking about the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs uh, and some of the moves that he makes. So we'll see what he does. But, yeah, I think I hope you're right, Max, (laughs) I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, I hope I'm right too, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Max, I want to ask you something. Uh, Uh We had David on this podcast a few weeks ago, and we recorded for like three hours with him. And about two three hours, yeah, Jesus. We, we took every question. <laughs> we we in the had mailbag. to split it. Yeah, we took uh, every question we, in the mailbag yeah. and wow. had to split it up into two episodes. It was nuts. But about two, two and a half hours into recording, uh, he called me Max. 
Uh, oh wow! And it just slipped out of him. I just want to know how you feel about that. I'm a, I'm a, je- I'm a I feel like a jealous lover. I feel excited. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go yell at him. We might have to get a divorce. Uh, I loved it, and it was funny. Uh, was but yeah, I had to ask you about that. Okay, are you ready to hear the results? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and feel free to fact check me, uh, people who are listening, because I I only went off the document that we I used when we recorded a year ago. I didn't listen to the episode. Sam, you listened to it. I didn't. I just used the document that I, I used last year. Uh, the fans got ten right, which is pretty good. Out ten of out of nineteen. Out of, 19? out of seventeen. I'm sorry, seventeen. Out of seventeen. Right. Ten out of seventeen. That's really good. That's like a, yes. A, that's like a Devin Booker shooting line. Yeah, not terrible. Max, you got nine right. So okay, Max, not terrible. no, and uh, you didn't win this year. Sorry, you won. You That's won okay. last year. Uh, you can carry that. Sam, you got ten right. Whew. So tied with the fans. Okay. And I got eleven right. Ah, fuck. So wow. this year I won. Uh, fact check me. Because I don't want to. If I did this wrong and I ended up being the winner, that would make me feel terrible. <laughs> I think you rigged it. I, I I don't know what you guys think at home. I look at Mike. I see a guy who probably rigged the results here a little uh, bit. So definitely go and fact check him. He needs. I just can't believe I went over fifty percent and he got last place. Jeez, tough competition. It was yeah. one of those years, though. I mean, it just kind of speaks to the the overall sense of uh, this was a year where you could be just optimistic, like you could just spam yeah. the over. And still get over 50% with the Suns because they were that good. So that's a good yeah. thing, I think. It yeah, is. I think you're right about that. And it was a good year for the Suns. I think it was nice. It ended the way that it ended. I am not at all mad about the playoffs. I mean, I was at the time because it came down to a last-second shot by Karis LeVert. That was a bad shot. A good shot if his name was Devin Booker, but it's not. Uh, but overall, super, super happy with the season. Happy about wh- the way it ended. I mean, think about this. For a lot of people... I think the over-under for the Suns was like 27 for games, right? Mm-hmm. That episode we had Matt Moore on to talk about the overall uh, over-under. for the, It was 27, right, Sam? You listened to it, right? Uh, 27, yeah, 28? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't listen to that part of the episode. Okay. <laughs> my memory, for some reason, is 29. I just had that sticking in my head. For yeah, I, yeah, mean, I think it was somewhere in the range. 27 to 29 range, and, and wasn't Matt like... Maybe over, over, warmly. over. Yeah. Oh, he was taking the over. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's why we had him on. Uh, we know our. Audience <laughs> yeah, we well. wouldn't. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't have had him on had you not hit the over. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we believed it was over too, but not only was it over, they significantly hit over, and there was ten games that they didn't even play this season. I so mean, I, think, I, I, yep. I remember when all of us were on a panel, a preseason prediction panel, and someone asked us to. Uh, it was um, Brandon Zona Sports on Twitter. Who asked us all to give our predictions for the win loss record? And I picked uh, 33 and 49. That was my official mm-hmm. prediction. And the Suns won 34 games in, in like 70. They won 34 games out of 73. Um, so I guess, you know, including the bubble run, they were on pace for like 37, 38 wins, which is, or 39 or something, which is really good. I think it's 38. I think I actually saw that somewhere. Yeah, 38. 38 yeah. was, if the win percentage, the record they were on would be 38 wins. Uh, which I don't know if that's fair to say because eight in a row. I mean, everything was so unlikely the way it happened. You but. just you just don't know. But had they gotten thirty eight, that would have been doubling their win total from last year, and that is, um, I don't know, maybe deserving. I noticed we didn't have anything for Monty Williams other than um, pace, which pace, I think was yeah. a really good one. But um, I am just curious when Coach of the Year voting is going to come out. If maybe the bubble is going to impact that at all so they or? voted before the bubble they voted yeah, before yeah. the bubble excuse yeah. me okay well that's yeah. really annoying because otherwise it's totally would. 13 all nba guard yeah they would have voted after all nba yeah. guard and i think monty williams probably got in second or third in, in coach of the year 
There's some good candidates for coach of the year this year, though, I, I think, Big time. Uh, in, in fairness to, to the rest of the league. But, uh, Max, thank you so much for joining us. I guess we forgot to talk about it. We should have talked about this at the beginning of the episode. You just recently released another uh, bonus episode, if you will, of the Seven Seconds or Less podcast as a part of David Nash's uh, Substack um news uh thing that he's doing <laughs> i forget what it's called yes. <laughs> uh but uh definitely people go and listen to that i haven't heard it yet i'm excited to listen to that i just saw it this morning so uh and do you have anything else that you want to talk about or plug here at the end of this episode max no thanks but no i'm, I'm a retired podcaster but somehow i've done i think four <laughs> podcasts the last two weeks so i don't know what's going on <laughs> i guess i guess ain't no sun uh, keeps me going but we, yeah no, we can't get enough of you Nash. Yeah, that's how you know it ended well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I imagine yeah, if they David limped Nash's to the thing. ending, we would have all left you alone. I mean, yeah, we would have still I, had you on, but... <laughs> they went 4-4, four and four, yeah. After spreading 4-0, oh, maybe less of a thing. But yeah, no, check out David Nash's newsletter. He's fantastic. He's one of the best. Um, we had a lot of fun talking. We always do, so check that out. Uh, not coming back full-time or anything, but always happy to come with you guys. Love talking to you guys. You guys do a great, great, great podcast. The best podcast going. So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Well, we're going to have you on again soon because if the season starts in December, we're going to have to have another over-under pretty soon here. <laughs> Be back in a few months uh, <laughs> to, to cover the 2021 uh, season. But, yeah, thanks for joining us, and thanks, for everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it would be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.